Welcome back to another episode of the Shula Bowl podcast brought to you by Five Reasons Sports. As always, you can find the Shula Bowl podcast at shulabowlpod.podbean.com and quickly working to be available at other podcast providers. But for the time being, you can find us on Podbean. And of course, you can access us on Twitter at the number five reason sports on Twitter at Shula Bowl Pod. And uh, your hosts are always accessible on Twitter. To be home with you today, it is myself, Eric Henry, FIU beat writer for SB Nation, and all things FAU. I think it's safe to call him a, a FAU Owls savant at this point. That, that'll be a, his working <laughs> title for the for the time being, Mr. Jake Elman. You can find him on Twitter at Jake Elman 97 Jake, how's it going, my man? Uh, well, I'm honored you would call me a savant. Uh, other than that, I'm good. It is day 14 without professional sports. It's been pretty much two weeks since I've really left where I live, and uh, I'm trying not to go stir crazy. I think we all are in the same boat here, man. You know, I, I don't know if you've had that moment yet where you had to just like think about what day is it? Uh, I know I had that one recently where I had to ask a friend of mine, is today Monday or Sunday? Like I just needed to uh, just need to double check. But before we go too far off the deep end into our, uh, we're all we're all feeling it, you know, social distancing uh, at its uh, at its peak here. Not sure how long it's going to last. We, you know, hey, everyone, first and foremost, we want to say be safe. We hope you are being safe out there. Hope everyone is uh, safe and healthy and practicing healthy social distancing. But in the time being. We're going to try to bring to you some uh, more content. Uh, last episode, we did a just kind of a you know a shooting the crap episode. I, I'll uh, use that in terms of a uh, in place of the word that we may have used last time. But this one, we're hoping to do something special, man. Um, we are hoping to uh, just kind of bring you guys a different perspective, what it's like to cover a Division One football program, and more specifically, just what it's like to be around Lane Kiffin and Butch Davis. You know, Jake was around Lane Kiffin for the entirety of his tenure at. FAU. I am entering year three. Uh, this is Butch's fourth year at Florida International. And just kind of want to bring you a kind of a sneak peek, you know, a little bit behind the scenes of what it's like to cover these guys in on a day in, day out basis. We're going to kind of just interview each other here and just kind of, you know, bounce some things off. And maybe we can uh, share with you, uh, open a, or um, kind of shine a spotlight on these guys, maybe a different side of these guys and you may not know uh, in person. So, Jake, uh, I'm just going to start off here with a broad question. What is uh what has it been like covering you know Division One football team? What's it been like covering Lane Kiffin uh, for I believe three years? Correct. Yeah, I mean I started covering FAU Charlie Partridge's last year in 2016. This was before I was doing FAU with the Post. I was doing games and just for football. I was really doing games for All Access, and then I was doing high schools at the time with the Post because I was still living with my dad and I wanted to eventually move out and Chuck at Al access had given me that opportunity because he had done work with the post in the past. And then when Lane got here, you know, I had said to the post a couple of times, like, Hey, you know, they're breaking ground on the new training facility. You want me to cover it? Uh, Lane is talking about signing day. You want me to cover it? And you know, from there, it turned into, okay, we want you to do some stuff in spring camp. And then it turned into, okay, we want you out there, feet on the ground, boots on the ground, whatever the phrase is, every day. And then that turned into really a special three years in the Lane Kiffin experience. It was a lot of fun. And I've said it before, I think that those three years really helped me grow up. And it taught me a lot. And I, I'm still definitely growing up. I mean, I'm only 22. I'm 23 in June. But that's one of those things 
being a beat writer and working in sports media where if you don't start maturing and you don't act like an adult and you don't go with the flow and adapt, then you get left behind really early. And that was one of my goals. And I'm sure it was one of your goals too, that you want to achieve a lot. And maybe it's not so much about fame or Twitter followers and the blue check mark. It's more about proving yourself. And when you write a good story or you get good feedback from people on people that you know, people on social media that you feel good about yourself. Yeah. You know what, Jake, you touched on something there. And you know, first and foremost, let me say, I don't think, at least I hope that none of us really get into this to, you know, be famous. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there are some who have, you know, kind of a um, ill-conceived idea that, being a beat writer is going to turn you into the next Stephen A. Smith or the next, you know, Rachel Nichols or, or, or Michael Wilbon or whoever. And it's not to say it can't, but I, you know, those are some of the, I mean, I, I'm despite your thoughts on, you know, whoever you may insert, you know, beat writer who you have a lot of respect for, but those guys on ESPN, they're some of the best in their, in their generation, their time, and they're where they're at for a reason. So, you know, none of us get into this, at least I'll speak for myself, getting to this and the thinking that, you know, I'm going to be the next such and such. I really get into it because you want to, and I'm sure Jake can attest this as well, give a pass for telling stories. You know, there's, there is a, uh, there's nothing like, uh, you know, what kind of got me into this profession is the fact that I truly believe everyone has a story to tell. And most people either a don't have the outlet or B they are just looking for the opportunity. You know, if you walk up to your average person on the street, they usually have no problem talking about themselves once you kind of get them to open up. And I've always felt that athletes are no different. You know, they're just looking for that opportunity, whether it's athletes or coaches or, you know, you can talk about a, a, each game, a game recap. They all are just opportunities to tell a great story, you know, to tell something that you might not see just by watching the game or you might watch that game in passing and you follow this team every day, but you don't have the opportunity to know about, you know, whether it's uh, um, James Morgan, his journey coming from Green Bay or Maurice Alexander, his nickname being hard time because the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck and he had a hard time coming out. So that's where he got the nickname hard time. You know, just stories like that, I think, are key. But something else you touched on really quickly, as I'm going to kick it back to you here, is you talk about the maturation process. You know, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 28. And I think for me, um, you know, I've only been around one other cultural ball program prior to this that was when i was in grad school in chicago you know i had spent some time around pat fitzgerald and northwestern and it's been a huge maturation process for me as well um I, the one thing that i think i at least i hope that i've brought to covering fiu in my now two and a half years of doing it is and once again jake i'm sure you can attest to this is just being a professional you know we notice certain things um we've talked about this on this podcast before we hope that we cover FIU and FAU in the way that we would have wanted our favorite team to be covered. You know, we cover it like it's the New York Yankees, like it's Southern California football, like it's the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and we try to bring that level of professionalism, being there, showing up on time, asking smart questions, being informed. You know, those are things that I, I think, and I'll kick it back to you here on this one. I'm sure Lane appreciated in your time around him. I know Coach Davis or, you know, coaches or players that I've come in contact with just appreciate a level of professionalism and they don't treat the job like it's a quote unquote, you know, 
G5 or mid-major or small market job. So they appreciate it when the people who cover them bring that same level of professionalism and attention to detail in their work as well. I mean, I've always told people, and since I'm not covering FAU anymore, besides the pod, like I feel comfortable saying this now without any risk of getting into trouble. There were times where I would say to players privately, like, my door is open and you guys can vent about something or whatever. And if I write something that you don't agree with, you're free to ask why I wrote it this way. Like, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not out to get you guys. And part of that wasn't just saving my ass. Part of that was, you know, my sophomore year was when I started covering FAU. Lane's first year was my junior year. I didn't have physical classes with any of those players, but I had online classes with some of them. I'd see some of them on campus and, there is that weird line where it's like I am one of you in terms of an FAU student and when I graduate I'm going to be an alumni as my phone is trying to cut me off but the other part of it just was as simple as you guys deserve to be treated fairly and you guys deserve to be covered fairly. If you only have somebody there who's only covering the games and is only writing about the All-American quarterback, the very good linebacker, the power five transfer. That's great. But if your job is to be the boots on the ground person and you want to tell those best stories that you can and you want people to trust you. And it's not just a source thing. It's not so that players can say to you, Hey, I'm back from my foot injury early. I'm playing tomorrow. Or, Hey, this is who I'm hearing um, is going to be the next coach. It's more that when you see these guys, that they know who you are and that there's that professional relationship and you respect them for how they treat you and what they do on the field. And you want them to not look at you as the enemy, especially in the times of the fake news. And I'm not trying to make this political, but newspapers are not in a great place and the media landscape is changing. And I think the time will come where some of these smaller schools, you may not have a newspaper, their person every day in the market where there's maybe three or four newspapers or maybe only one major newspaper. You may not have as many blogs there. So the people that are there, you want the players and the coaches and the athletic administrators to know that, you're not the enemy and you're not some dumb kid who views it, who views the experience as an opportunity to flex. Like, wow, I'm covering Butch Davis. Oh my God, I'm covering Lane Kiffin. It's about, I'm here to do a job and I'm here to do it as best I can and as professionally as I can. 100% agree. I think that's one of the things and you make a note of always being there. And I tell, you know, I, I hate to sound like some old man, even though I'm, uh, you know, uh, a relative newbie in the game, just like, you know, just like you. But um, one of the things I was told by my grad school professor who covers the Bears for the Athletic, spent a dozen years covering them for the Chicago Sun-Times, was two things you want to be about your job. One, you always want to be available. Because as you mentioned, if you write something about a player you want that player to have the opportunity to be able to respond to you in person. And the second thing is no lazy journalism. And what that means, and I promise we'll, we'll take this off of a journalism pod and we'll get about to the coaches here. But 
uh, just want to make sure that this is a point of emphasis is the reason why I make the point to be on the field pregame every game, which is available. That's a, a slight dig at the FAU stadium ground policies, but I digress. Um, <laughs> I was just about to say every school except for FAU. <laughs> every school except for FAU is, you know, and, and in addition to practice is because I want the players to see me and they can see my face. They can put a face to the name who's writing about them and also know that I know every player on the roster. You know, I can tell you if someone asked me something about uh, Tommy Zosis, the long snapper, I can tell you that he came from the same high school um, that Stanley Thomas Oliver. And, and those guys came from down there in Southwest Florida. You know, um, I, I want uh, whether it's, you know, Malik Williams, another one came from, from that same area. Um, or if it's, you know, Tanner Watson, uh, you know, a former quarterback there who was a walk-on who just, uh, just transferred out. I want all of them to be able to, to, to have an interaction with me and feel like that person knows who I am and I'm not just a nameless, faceless person. But uh, we're going to transition off of that, and I'm going to ask Jake just uh, an opening question here. What is – and obviously I think this is a big thing for you having covered Lane Kiffin, someone who's you know had high-profile jobs at University of Tennessee and Southern California and Oakland Raiders, et cetera. What's the biggest misconception of Lane Kiffin in, in your eyes from maybe – you know, things that you may have had an idea of what you thought he might be like heading into it versus what he actually was in dealing with him. I think one of the biggest ones was that Lane was this sleazy guy and you can disagree with how things ended with the, him going on the radio and him saying at practice, you know, my plan is to be there next year and then taking the old Miss job. But there was the whole thing about, Club Boca and Lane being out until three in the morning on like a Friday night. And I'm not saying that those things may not have happened, but it's the same thing with anybody. It's like to make those assumptions about people and to just dislike somebody because, oh, I heard that he was at Club Boca talking to 20 year old. I met Lane's girlfriend, Stephanie. She's a very nice woman. And me, it's not because I was so close to Lane, but I would get annoyed sometimes when this was 2019 and people were still saying even as jokes, like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, Lane should stop partying in Club Boca and work on getting the students there. Lane, in my experiences working with him, from the time he got there to the time he left, he was a little bit of an enigma, but I said it from the get-go, Lane is Lane. And he always approached things a lot differently than other coaches, and I respect that about him. And like I said, I'm not saying that Lane may not have been at Club Boca or the Tilted Kill or wherever when he first got here. But if that was people's impressions of him that lasted for three years and that was their misconceptions and that's the vibe I got from some people, I thought it was unfair. And I thought that the other big misconception was that well, some people would say that Lane wasn't a good coach, and this was still happening after the UCF game, that Lane got lucky his first year in the whole USC thing. It's like you look at USC, they had a good first year, they had a good second year, really good second year, and then they got hit with the scholarship limitations. And I think Lane got a bad rep there. I think he got a bad rep at Bama because of how things ended. And I think he left with a bad rep here because people always look at the negatives. The students never came. Uh, they played a bad schedule. They missed uh, a bowl game in 2018. We said it the day that Lane left. 
and I've said it since. I don't know how you can't look at the Lane Kiffin era as anything other than an extreme success. I'm going to jump in here and mention one thing, and I've told you this privately. I don't think I've mentioned on the podcast. I only had one interaction with Lane Kiffin, and that was at Conference USA Media Days to begin the start of this past year, 2019. And what really struck me about him was from the outside looking in, there's this idea that he's this bombastic kind of showy type of guy. And maybe that's because you know everyone's seen the picture with him with the shades at Tennessee or, you know, being a, a younger coach and having high profile jobs and maybe being, you know, maybe a little too quotable. I know that's kind of a sin to say it as a, as a reporter, but um, I was genuinely surprised at two things. One, the guy, and maybe this isn't how he is in his natural speaking, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this more than I can, but the guy spoke in a whisper to the point where there were only three reporters around it was myself, Chris Vanini from the athletic and Brett Vito, who works for, uh, the, the publication out there in Denton. I'm sorry, Brett, it's escaping my yeah, name. The, it's it's yeah, escaping uh, my Denton, uh, Denton record Chronicle. We like there we go. Thank, thank you. Do. Exactly. Uh, same here. I do as well. Um, it was one of the three of us there and you could barely hear Lane. He was speaking out a whisper and that's not because he was trying to be, you know, a prick. I, I, I genuinely think that was just his, his natural speaking voice. I mean, you could hear what he was saying clearly, but when you, it, if you take stock of all the CUSA coaches, ones who you would think before that interaction, one who you'd have to fight to hear, you wouldn't think Lane Kiffin. So that was one. And the other thing I think I'll say is that the guy genuinely seems like someone who's just a football coach. You know, at the end of the day, the dude really enjo- enjoys coaching football. Now, that's one interaction with him. I can't um, attest to anything either. I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that, but I also want to make sure we have time to, uh, you know, kick it around the horn here. So I'm going to jump in and, and, and take that same question for Butch Davis. The, the biggest misconception about him, I think <laughs> it's funny that we're talking about Lane and Butch. I think people, if you really got a chance to sit down and talk with Butch Davis, he's the gregarious one who can talk shop with all the reporters for 45 minutes and tell stories. You know, I'll give you that same CUSA media day example. Butch has no problem, you know, leaning back in his chair with a dozen guys. It was myself, Brett Vito, Corey Diaz. Um, I'm trying to think who else may have been there at the time. You know, there, there were a ton of people just uh, a full on scrum, Jake and Butch has no problem just kicking back and talking shop and telling stories about the Dallas Cowboys or Jimmy Johnson or this that and the other. Butch deep down is a gregarious guy. I mean, even when we talk to him after practices, I, I'll share um, two stories of mine that I think kind of sum up a side of Butch Davis. I think people don't see. One of them is I remember for someone who is quote unquote, an old school coach, you know, Butch Davis is, if my memory serves me correct, he has 68 or 69 years of age. The guy has a certain, you know, fervor and just a, a level of passion for the game. And that's not to say that older coaches generally don't, but I think growing up, the idea of an older coach you had in your mind was, this is going to, there's no polite way to say this. I'm sorry. Um, Bobby Bowden in his later years at Florida State, right? You know, being 80 years old and just kind of that figurehead on the sideline. When Butch Davis, he came off the field, it was a, a practice heading into fall. Um, or actually heading into into opening week and uh, one of the final scrimmages. And he came off the field, I mean, just drenched in sweat, fired up saying, hey, Eric, you know, do you see the toys I got the guys? And he ran over and he picked out, you know, he he went to uh, stopped off at Walmart and gotten the guys, you know, like a pool floaty and, and you know, uh, goggles and all kinds of stuff for them to have, <laughs> you know. Um, that's like Butch Davis. You know, he's, he's just as 
as gregarious and, and outgoing as coaches younger than him and guys who you wouldn't expect. He's an old school, quote unquote, an old school coach, you know? So I, I think that, uh, that point is key as well. And the other one, if I kick it back to you, Jake, that I'll say is he, there was a press scrum heading into spring of last year where there was a young reporter. Um, she was a reporter for Panther now, which is the FIU student news publication. And at times those scrums, you know, you can feel like, Hey, you got to jump in and ask all the questions and kind of forget that there are people there who may be new and things of that nature. And he, you know, took the time to tell this one girl, you know, probably a young girl, young girl, maybe a freshman or a sophomore uh, at FIU say, Hey, um, I see you're here around all these guys, you know, you got first question. And she deferred and was like, Hey, you know, I'll ask at the end. And, you know, we went through and did the, the press. And Rich made a point to come back to her after everyone asked the question and said, Hey, I know you didn't get your question in, you know, what's your question? And I think things like that, people kind of get this idea of Bush's kind of this old grizzled veteran and a, truly is, uh, you know, much more gregarious than, and um, outgoing with the media. Yeah, Jake. So, you know, as I kind of gave that, uh, that kind of summarization there of Butch and the side of people that, uh, side of him that people wouldn't see, uh, I want to ask you this question, you know, what is kind of, you know, maybe that personal relationship been like with you and Lane? And that's not to say that every beat writer has a personal relationship with the coach, but once again, it's no secret that the, um, you know, media contingency, among both schools is not the biggest. So I'm sure you've had your share of one-on-one interactions with Lane. Is there a personal kind of interaction you'd like to share with, uh, with the audience about you and Lane? Why don't you share uh, what he said to you at media day last year? <laughs> okay. So exactly. I, I, That's all you need to know. I'm not even in Texas and Lane is talking about me to other reporters. Well, it's, he, uh, to be fair, I asked, I, so Here's the story Jake is talking about, right? So I asked Jake, excuse me, I asked Lane, um, you know, this is once the, that port, that little scrum had ended. I, I had to say, I was like, hey, coach, you know, uh, what, what's a quick thought on, uh, on my man Jake Elman? And he's like, uh, Jake's a good kid. You know, he's a good guy. You know, we got to still still working on, a, you know, a couple things with him. You know, it's like uh, trying to work on finding a girl, but uh, we're getting there. And <laughs> so that's, that, that's, uh, that's all that was. So there you go, guys. That was my relationship with Lane Kiffin in a nutshell. He was a ball breaker, which I enjoyed for the most part. There were a couple of times where I think he may have gone a little bit too far. Like I was at one of his coaches shows last year and I had gone, I brought my mom to one in 2018 and he was on the air with Ken Levicka and he said, Jake, he said something like Jake needs to bring his mom back and you know, a little too far don't bring my mom into it again but for the most part i can't even say for the most part like i really enjoyed my time with lane and i think being around him and i'll say this now because like again now that i'm not covering the team as a newspaper uh, affiliate with a newspaper like i think i can be a little bit more open and honest about this stuff without running into that ethical barrier Lane at times for me was my second father or a very good father figure because I started covering him when I was 19. And, you know, 19, I turned 20 a couple months before his first year, and he left when I was 22. So that's, you know, three and a half years around somebody and somebody who was in his 40s, somebody who I respect a lot. And that was part of what I think made me a better or I would like to think made me into more of an adult is just 
being around someone like that, not wanting to let them down and not wanting to upset them. And obviously you're going to ask a question or two that might piss them off. Don't get me wrong, but not wanting to do things in a way that, you know, it's not like I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. And that was never the path I wanted to get to with Charlie Partridge, but that was definitely not the point I ever wanted to get with Lane, especially covering him for three years. And I know that the relationship between you and Butch is different, but do you feel the same way sometimes? Like, obviously, you may upset him at one point, but you'd rather him be angry at something you wrote than be disappointed in how in how you wrote it or how you behaved. That's that's interesting, Jake. Um, I can't necessarily say. <clears throat> I can't necessarily say. Maybe because, and I'm I'm not trying to make it seem like the age difference between you and I is that significant. But I, I think maybe I would have felt closer to the way you felt when I was dealing with Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my one-on-one interactions with Butch have been been fine. And, and it, to be to be you know pretty blunt and transparent here, um, some of those one-on-one interactions, just because of the scarcity of media that covers FIU, have come in moments that Butch Davis doesn't have any reason to be the nicest, most gregarious dude with me. You know, um, that's after Middle Tennessee State, after the team's given up 471 yards, or after Tulane, where the team's given up 450 rushing, uh, 350 rushing yards, um, you know, after FAU. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to necessarily, necessarily say it's a disappointment thing, but I, what I do appreciate most about Butch, once again, is that and maybe this is different on my end because we're dealing with someone who, and I mean, this in all due, all due respect to Lane Kiffin, Butch Davis has kind of been more or less at the pinnacle. I mean, sure. The 2001 national championship team at Miami isn't given to him. He didn't coach the team, but he recruited most of those guys and everyone knows that it was a Butch Davis team. You know, he's been to the pinnacle with the Dallas Cowboys. He, he's been to the pinnacle, um, you know, in various stops. He's coached, uh, uh, had been the head coach in the NFL in Cleveland. So I, I think for me, it's different in the sense that Butch could look at, easily look at me and be like, here I am, I've done all these things in my career, and I'm now spending my time talking to someone who's in his third year on a beat, you know, um, asking me questions after I, I just got blown out um, 49 to 14, whatever the score of the Middle Tennessee State game was, and have every reason to be bristle and, and you know, quite frankly, be a prick. And I think I'm the mutual respect or the thing I appreciate most in that is that in those moments, he's treated me in the same way. I assume he's treated the Dan Levitards and the, you know, um, uh, Susan Miller Degmans and, and those people who've covered Miami football for however long, or, you know, the people who covered him in Dallas, you know, I, I know Skip Bayless covered those teams. I assume without having been there that he's treating me in the same way he's treated those people because of the fact that he's been more than willing to answer questions, not necessarily happy about it. <laughs> you know, no coach is happy about giving up those kinds of, of um, yards and, and points. But in that sense, I think that has been my most positive experience with him. And in a sense that um, we both, there's a mutual respect. You know, I respect the fact that he's taken the time to do that for me. And I think he respects the fact that, you know, when I ask him questions, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but not everyone asks the smartest question after an FIU post game, <laughs> you know? So I think he appreciates the fact that I'm there prepared and asking smart questions. And I think that reflects in the fact that he's willing to take the time to talk to me, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I want to clarify the disappointment thing. It's not so much, I guess the best way to put it is like when you're in school, right. And 
you get like a D in math and your parents say, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed, or you come back past your curfew. And I think the journalism version of that is you want the players and the coaches and everybody, you would rather them, I think, be more frustrated when you ask a question after a middle Tennessee loss about the run defense, right? Then be disappointed in committing an ethical violation or going out of your way to really attack a player or a coach, as opposed to just sure. saying, you know, instead of saying, you know, they need to work on improving the run defense, saying that this guy is starting as an embarrassment and the coaches should take away his scholarship, something like that. And that's an extreme, obviously, but that's what I mean by disappointment, which is sure. you don't want the coaches or the but you don't want you don't want those people that you deal with to be disappointed in the way you handle something. You would rather them understand why you ask a question or why you write something and be unhappy with it, but also understand that it's your job. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree and with that. That was more. What, that was where I was going. Playing is I, I never tried. I, I never never tried to. So at times I would say that. I mean, I think that players or whoever could have been disappointed with me. There were a couple times when I was a little younger that I would write that. I would put something in, say, a notebook that maybe I shouldn't have mentioned, like Lane when he was talking about March Madness a couple years ago and somebody asked him because it was opening day for baseball, who's going to win the world? I don't even know who's in it. And I, nobody complained about it, but after the fact, I said to myself, okay, and this was after somebody else had said I shouldn't have put that in there because Lane might have stopped talking to us. And I said, okay, maybe they're right. So that was where I was going with the whole disappointment. When you're working with those people, those coaches and players and SIDs every day for from August to December or late November, depending on how the season goes, you know, you don't want to disappoint them. You don't want to write something that is unfair that is deliberately unfair and you don't want to misrepresent you or your organization or make the schools look bad for giving you a credential. Sure. No, absolutely. In that sense, I can absolutely understand what you're saying. And once again, I, I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble by saying this. There've been apps. There've absolutely been, you know, off the cuff things that Butch Davis has said that, you know, I don't want to make it seem as if they're horrible or not printable or something, you know, outrageous or, you know, slanderous or anything like that. But you learn when you're around these guys, as you said, you know, day in and day out or around, for, you know, in my case, Butch Davis for an extended period of time, uh, whether that's a post game or a after a practice or something like that, you know, they're going to be comments that like, you just don't print everything just because it's said, you know, th it, there's a reason why there's on the record and off the record. You know, if, if we, uh, if we start, if we start our, our, you know, interview process and we're on the record, then, you know, you're not going to take something that was said 30 seconds prior and be like, Oh, well, you know, coach saw that there was a, a report around and a microphone around because that doesn't do any good for him. It doesn't do any good for me and for, for our interview subjects. You can attest to this to consistently feel like they're on guard. The, the entire point of, or, you know, one of the biggest points of emphasis of what we're trying to do is to get coaches or players or interview subjects in general to feel comfortable enough to talk to us that they trust us and that they can open up. So I completely agree with you there in that sense. But want to sneak in this last question before we go and wrap up this podcast here. 
Uh, I know I have a specific one in mind. Can you kind of share, you know, maybe whether it's um, a moment of frustration or a moment of levity? And I do want to get to a Twitter question that we had about favorite meter room snack. I'll save that to the end. Um, but uh, maybe, you know, a, a moment of frustration or a moment of levity that coach has had with you. I can think of one of each that coach Davis has had with me. I think the biggest frustration that I would have had wasn't so much with Lane or even the way athletics handles things. It was more just, you know, you're only out there for a certain amount of time, most of the time under a coach. Now, Lane opened up practice for the entire time early last season, but in spring and during the regular season, the other two years, you're trying to find stories and, you know, it's one of those things where somebody may break a story and you don't have it and it's hard to confirm it. And I think that's natural and it would just get frustrating at times because some of the stories that would come out were stories that you could have broken or I could have, you being I, because especially when practices were open, right? We follow the rules, or I try to follow the rules. Don't tweet about injuries. Don't tweet who's not practicing. Don't put it in your stories. And even when we were only out there for 10 minutes, you would know, like, uh, oh, Chris Robinson's wearing a boot, so he's probably questionable. Willie Wright's practicing after getting his concussion. And my rule was always, if Lane acknowledges it, it's fair game. If a player outright says it, it's fair game. And it would frustrate me sometimes when other people wouldn't follow those rules and be courteous. And I understand sometimes why they did it. You want to get the story out there. But it was a conflict for me because, okay, I'm not trying to be the one who pisses off Lane and costs us the access and costs us players and that stuff. But I also don't want to have to potentially explain to my bosses why these people are running with a story and I'm not. And I'm wondering if you've ever had that same situation where you know the things that are going on in practice and you're not reporting them because out of respect to the rules and the process that allows us to have those opportunities to speak with the players and coaches and try to cover the games as best we can. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, you know, to kind of really pull the the curtain back here, um, let me answer two questions in one, right? So I'm going to answer part of it, uh, you know, kind of a a moment of levity, and I'm going to answer Jake's question in one. So the moment of levity that I had with Coach that kind of stood out to me was after the FAU game, and I don't want to make it seem like Coach was happy about the performance, but he came out and, you know, this was now the third time that Coach Davis has had to talk to me after a loss in which the team has given up, you know, a litany of rushing cards, right? And Coach Davis opened up his uh, his remarks with, "Hey, good evening, Eric. What can I answer for you tonight? That you know, I haven't answered for you the past, you know, the last two times you had to go through this, you know. So that that was kind of a a funny moment of levity. Um, to answer your question, specificity, Jake, this is where it's tricky. Um, with I guess I'm bringing the listeners in, inside the curtain here or behind the curtain, however you know the uh, the phrase goes. With you writing for the Palm Beach Post at the time and now me writing for, you know, SB Nation publication, our roles are a little bit different and very much the same. Right. So there's not necessarily the expectation on me to, quote unquote, break as many stories as much as it is in writing for Underdog Dynasty. What we're trying to do is essentially provide coverage to a group of schools, specifically CUSA and the Sunbelt, that probably don't get 
the most coverage, whether it's from their daily or their you know local news or et cetera. So now that doesn't mean that everything we're going to write is good, right? I you know if I'm there, boots on the ground, and I'm there at practice, and something happens that's negative. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able to turn around and be like, hey, uh, well, this happened, but I chose to ignore it, right? Like, I'm going to get in trouble the same way you right. were. But there, it, it's to answer your question in specificity, I feel the pressure. I mean, I had an example where a player, I won't name the player because it, it's, I still want to keep that level of confidentiality, um, was wearing right. a, a orange, uh, uh, orange jersey, which essentially was, wasn't a, 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 a no-contact jersey, but just that you know, they weren't practicing. Um, and I had accidentally taken a picture of that and tweeted it out, which I wasn't tweeting out the specific player. I was tweeting out a wide shot, and I would picked up that player in it. Um, and it was something where I broke a rule Yet it was something that was acknowledged, like you mentioned, that player X didn't practice. So I felt like, okay, that's fair game. And I had to go back and, uh, and wipe that off, you know, because quite frankly, I, I did break the rule and uh, it got me, it was, it was a bit of a tight spot because, you know, Sport SB Nation, the underdog guy, is like, hey, you've got this out there. There's something we can use for a story. But at the same point in time, I did break a rule. So that's kind of a, you know, something similar where I've had to walk that line. But also it's different in the sense that while you and I, your and I's role was, I guess I'd say was now, I still refer to you as the beat writer, was the same. And in some small nuances, it's different because of the publication we work for. Um, but I think that should answer that question. But really quick, Jake, uh, before we wrap it up, I want to make sure just because we did get a Twitter question and I thought it was a, you know, a funny one to, uh, uh, to end on this one. Um, our guy Noah Brown on Twitter asked us, what was our favorite media room snack? And um, I, I can say that Jake and I both are foodies. Jake did DM me prior to the 2018 Shula Bowl asking me what the press spread would be like at Ricardo Silva Stadium. So we both have inquired. Um, what is a, uh, you know, I'll, get, I'll give it to you like this. The favorite meal that you've had as a working member of the press, what would that be? Favorite meal I've had as a working member of the press. See, that's tough because I've done high school games where they've had the food trucks and some of those food trucks are really good food. For the sake of the pod, I'm going to stick to colleges. And this wasn't so much a meal. Well, the best meal I had was at RSS at FIU. When they gave us, like, the pasta and the meatballs, it was fantastic. But FAU, for the most part the last few years, has served us these flavored popcorn at – after halftime, it's like all these different flavors, like Chipotle Buffalo or Bacon Ranch Cheddar. And it's so fascinating. And I keep forgetting the name of it because I want to order some, especially now with this quarantine. So FAU, they give us barbecue upstairs. It's pretty good. The meatballs are the best. But FIU had the best meal. And uh, FAU with the uh, flavored popcorn, I would say, is the best um, side dish slash dessert slash snack. Okay, so I'm going to piggyback off of Jake and quickly give my answer here. Uh, it's a toss-up between two. The food at Ricardo Silva is normally very good. I'm not just saying that to uh, <laughs> endear myself to one Tyson Rogers, uh, who, who has control of those things. Um, the food there is, is, is normally pretty good, you know, whether it's the pasta you mentioned. But one thing they had for the noon kickoff 2018 was Moho's Donuts which are amazing. I don't believe they're up uh, by you in Palm Beach. And there was a location in Broward and a location in Dade. Jake, um, if you haven't had them, have you had Moho's Donuts before? 
What's it called? Moe's Donuts? Moe's. It's M-O-J-O. M-O-J-O. Um, no, I don't think I have. Uh, next time I see you down south, I'm going to make sure to pop by there and, and first off, support your local businesses during this time because that's key. Um, but also, I'm going to make sure to pop 100%. by and bring, you, and, and bring you some donuts. They have a donut with bacon on it that is amazing. Um, but, uh, they, they, I mean, they actually have, I mean, a myriad of donuts, but that one specifically is pretty good. Um, but that, but also to kind of, you know, maybe wow everyone here listening, Jerry Richardson stadium, Charlotte, North Carolina, the media spread multiple times, endless Chick-fil-A sandwiches. That's the one right there where I, I, I don't know, Jake, if you're as much of a Chick, a Chick-fil-A savant as I am, you know, our Chick-fil-A um, enthusiast as I am, but uh, just having, you know, two or three Chick-fil-A sandwiches to scarf down, that was amazing. So uh, I definitely uh, appreciated that. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. Um, hopefully this won't be the only time we can do this. So, you know, if there's something we didn't cover on this episode where, you know, with Jake's time with Lane and my time with Butch, feel free to shoot us, you know, a DM. You can find us. Us at five reason sports on twitter and at shulable pod on twitter once again you can find jake at jake elman that's e-l-m-a-n 97 on twitter you can find me at eric c henry e-r-i-c c henry h-e-n-r-y underscore on twitter if there's something we missed on this podcast please feel free to hit us up and lastly you can find this podcast shulablepod.podbean.com Thank you for listening. We will have the whole crew back, uh, hopefully next episode. We'll try to find a way to get through this uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, you know, kind of debacle together. And please practice safe social distancing and we can flatten the curve and we can get sports back in our lives sooner than later. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.